Hey, good morning, Harvest. It is so good to be back uh, with you. Uh, I just want to start by saying thank you. Thank you for uh, your generosity as a church, uh, giving me these, these last weeks away for, for some rest and some restoration. Um, God is good. God has been good to me, to my family, and just seeing him um, <clears throat> do the work that he needed to do. And uh, excited for what God has for us moving forward. Uh, this morning, we're going to be wrapping up this series that uh, Matt and Marshall uh, have been preaching through. We're going to end this morning with that. And I'm so looking forward to next week as we begin a whole new series. You're not going to want to miss it by, by God's grace, hopefully, uh, that we'll be open for in-person services again for that. So looking forward to seeing you if you can make it out to those. But for now, for this morning, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to the book of Amos. Amos chapter one, and I know there could be some of you going, what? What's this book? I have never heard of it. It's, it's, it's about two thirds of the way through the Bible, all right? So, so if you hit like the big prophets, Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel, keep going right. You'll hit Hosea, Joel, Amos. If you hit Revelation, you're too far. Come on back, all right? Get yourself to the book of Amos. And um, you know, as we look forward to hopefully next week, uh, being able to gather again for in-person services, it has been a wild ride, has it not? That this whole COVID season has just been such, a, such an experience. And, 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 and as we think about it, we, we can think about it in terms of what we've lost. And there are some, uh, many who have lost loved ones in this season. Some who've lost jobs or, or, or a, a huge amount of finances. We've for sure lost a lot of our freedoms. We can, we can think about what we, we've missed over this time. We, we can think about what we're looking forward to when, when we get back to what, what is normal again. And if you look online, I mean, you, you can see that as, as Christians, we have a lot to say about this whole COVID season. If you're brave enough for the journey, you, you can jump down the, the rabbit hole of the comment section on social media, man. It is all over the map from where Christians land on this. There are, there are some Christians who are like, man, it is a, a sin to gather together. And so the, the most loving and wise thing for us to do is to limit our freedoms for the good of everyone. Then there's people on the other side who are saying, man, it's a sin not to gather. And, and pastors need to open up their churches. If they're not, they're not, they're not living according to God's word. And, and some who are saying, man, this is such an example of what it is to be a persecuted church. And as, as elders and pastors here at Harvest, we, we came to the conclusion that there are, there are certain circumstances or times like a fast spreading virus where it would be wise to defer our, our, our large group gatherings for a season. And, and I'll say this, not everybody within our church agrees with that. And, and the longer the lockdowns have lasted, the more we see the, the pain and the weight of not being able to gather. And so we start to ask in, in a season like this, what do we do then? I mean, how, how do these COVID lockdowns and restrictions, how do, how do they fit within what we believe we're called to as a church? What's it going to look like when we, we're able to finally reopen again? But, but here's something I'm wondering maybe is a, a better question that we should be asking in this season. It's a question I've heard very few Christians asking, and it's this question. Why has God shut us down? Why has God shut us down? 
shut us down. You see, see, we believe in a, in a sovereign God, right? That he's ultimately in control of the whole thing. He, he's sovereign over governments making decisions. And so, so rather than spending so much time rallying against the government, what, what if in humility we started from a different place and we, we asked this, God, why have you shut down our corporate worship? And I want to be careful this morning as we, as we look in the book of Amos that I, I want to be careful that you hear me say this, that I, I'm not saying, thus says the Lord. Here, I've got it figured out. This is what God shut us down for this reason. But, but here's what I'm wondering. Should we not at least ask the question? Should we not begin to see, wait a minute, does God have a purpose for us as a church in this? That, that maybe the freedoms we had, the great freedoms we had, maybe they weren't all that great for us. Maybe they didn't send us out on mission. Maybe, maybe we weren't living out what Jesus calls us to because it seems like, it seems like in places where there is so much less freedom, where there actually is government oppression and persecution, that those churches look like they're straight out of the gospels especially compared to how we do church in North America. And so, so maybe, maybe God's up to something in this lockdown. I see some good in it for sure. I see, I see families pressing into the word with their kids in a way like they may never have before. I see people caring so much less about temporal things and, and, and their, their hearts and their minds are thinking more and more about the eternal and so I wonder that if in this season, even as we look to reopening a little bit, that, that rather than jumping ahead to go, yeah, we're through this, maybe, maybe, rather than that our prayers always being, Lord, get me out of this trial, then maybe we're more on our knees in this upcoming season. And we're asking this, God, God, are you trying to get our attention? I mean, shouldn't we be less like the, the Pharisee in, in Luke 18 standing at the temple and, and right up the front saying, man, I'm sure glad I got this all figured out. I'm sure glad I'm so right and I'm so holy. And, and shouldn't we be more like the tax collector, broken on our knees? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. As we jump into the book of Amos, see what happens is there's this, this guy, Amos, comes along as this prophet and, and he's different than any other prophet that you see in the Old Testament. He, he wasn't a vocational prophet. He didn't come from a royal family. He wasn't a theologian. In fact, he's just this regular blue collar kind of a guy. Look, look at verse one. It says, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, He's this, a shepherd. Some translations would say that, would say that he's a, a sheep breeder. So he might be a rancher. In, in chapter 7, verse 14, it says that he, he took care of trees too. He farmed trees. So, so not a preacher, not a theologian. Here's a guy who's a farmer and a rancher, a regular guy. But listen, his heart so on fire for the Lord. So burdened, such a, a deep fear of the Lord and a deep passion to live for him. Hugely burdened by what he saw as he looked around him as he saw what God's people were doing, as he saw what, 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 what was happening amongst God's people, and he, he was so burdened by it, he couldn't keep it anymore, God begins to speak through him. 
know, before we go further here, just a side note here. If, if, if you feel like you're just this regular, ordinary person, I mean, Amos, just another example. We see it all through scripture, all through scripture. We see it through church history that God seems to start some of the biggest moves of his spirit, the the greatest movements of reform and revival. He tends to use ordinary people. And maybe this COVID season, maybe, maybe there's this opportunity where God's calling you out of the ordinary, calling you out of the normal, boring, stable, stale way of doing North American Christianity where it's only on Sunday, I come to worship and the rest of the week, it doesn't matter. I don't need to, and and God's calling you right now. Step out and live a little more risky. So here's Amos stepping out. This ordinary person who, who puts into practice really what he believed. You know, when Harvest started, we, we had this mindset. I remember, I remember the first few, few, few weeks and months and years of our church where, where our, our whole mindset was this. We don't have a lot of stuff. We're a pretty ordinary church, but we have a burden to live out the gospel. And, and we, we never wanted to become a, a program-driven church, but, but just that it would be a place for people who love Jesus so much that ministry is happening all over the place. Lives are being changed because ordinary people were stepping out into the call of God on their lives. And, and I've been encouraged even in this, this last month. I've been encouraged by the, the 1010 challenge and people who have stepped into that challenge. And then if you're just hearing about this for the first time, it's this challenge we've got where we're kind of looking at what's been going on, where, where we're clinging to Hebrews 10, 25, saying, do not forsake gathering together. And we're stopping the verse there. And we thought, wait a minute, that verse goes on. It says, gather together for what purpose? To encourage, to stir each other up for love and good deeds. And we thought, man, what would it look like for us to live out that part of the verse? So the 1010 challenge, reach out to 10 people in our church, maybe even people you don't normally connect with, reach out to encourage, to stir them up. And reach out to 10 people in your life who don't know Jesus, reach out to them to encourage, say, hey, how can I come alongside of you? How can I help you in this season? I'm telling you, the stories are coming in. Yeah, we may be shut down on a Sunday, but God is on the move. Lives are being changed There's stories of people who are giving their life to Christ because somebody reached out and said, I'm doing the 1010 challenge. Here, Amos, he's stepping into a time in Israel and actually he's stepping into a time where life is really, really good. Look at it again. It says in in verse one, the, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And what's he saying here? He's, he's speaking in this time where, where, where Israel used to be a unified nation under, under, the, under King, king uh, Solomon, and, and it, it, it's split after, after his reign into these two nations. And, and this is a time when you've got King Uzziah and King Jeroboam, awesome kings, kings who ruled for a long time. And they were crushing it as kings, doing so well. And the, and the surrounding nations around Israel and Judah, the, the, the world power nations of Assyria and Egypt, for some reason, they're not doing well right now. So, so they're not powerhouses anymore. And so Israel becomes more and more able to control the trade routes and there's huge wealth that floods in. 
And Amos steps in into this time of wealth and prosperity, but he doesn't step in with a message of blessing saying, look how good the Lord is to you and how he's blessing you. He steps in with a word of judgment. In fact, it's in the middle of a festival. They're, they're about to have a festival and he steps in to say, hey, I got some words for, for you from God. And in chapters one and two, he begins by just laying out God's judgment on the surrounding nations. You can see in chapter one and two, he's talking to Damascus and, and Philistia and, and Moab and, and God laying out judgment for their cruelty, their violence, their, their deceit, their, their selling of slaves, their injustice. And I can imagine as Amos is, is preaching this, this word from the Lord that, that Israel, the people of God are going, yeah, we like this Amos guy. He can preach. Bring it, man. And, and, and why? Because we can become so quick and so comfortable talking about the sin of the world, can't we? Things that we're called to flee from, things that we're called to look so differently from, things that we're called to step into to bring healing and life. And, and I think even in this pandemic, we, we can so quickly get caught looking outward at all the outside stuff. Look at how the government's messing this up. Look, this must be God's judgment on the world. This is end times for sure. We're, we're living in a, a left behind movie. Like if you get vaccinated, man, that's the mark of the beast. We're always looking outward and Amos now steps in and he's, I can imagine as he's, saying all this, people are, are being more drawn into his message and, and they're shouting amens at the start of the sermon, but, but things begin to shift. And I, I picture it this way. I picture Amos kind of like a guy who's got a shotgun in his arms and he's talking with all these other nations and you're like, yeah, this is awesome. And he cracks the gun, puts in two uh, shells, closes it up, and now he turns it to Israel. I'm wondering what it would look like for us to look at the pandemic we're in, the situation we're in from a different perspective. What if God was looking at us, the church? What if this whole thing is a wake-up call for harvest, for our church? See, because I read through the book of Amos and to me, it's this idea of, of God the Father and he's, he's seeing his kids and, and they're acting like total nut bars. And so as a father, he's saying, hey, enough! You guys are done! God says to the people in Amos in chapter five, he says this in verse 21, he says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. I mean, think about that. God's saying, I hate how you do church. And we're doing church, we're making it happen. We, we think we're worshiping. And God's like, enough, you guys are done. Your worship services are done. You gather together to sing and to preach. He's saying, enough. I mean, what if God's saying that to us? Where he's saying, I'm giving you a time out, North American church. I'm giving you a time out. This, this virus is shutting you down. Why? Because I need you to sit this out for a bit. I need you to hear me clearly for a bit, he's saying. Now, why would I say that? I say that because Amos wasn't the only prophet who spoke like this who brought this kind of message. You see, when the, when the Babylonians came in to take Israel into captivity, the people of Israel, they were saying this, look at how cruel the king of Babylon is. He's destroying us. And God, through Jeremiah, says, no, no, no. I sent the king. I'm behind this. And worship was stopped. Listen, listen, stopped by God. 
fact, he says in Jeremiah 27, 22, that worship would not start back up again until he restored it. And listen, I would say this, this, this lockdown, the season we're in right now, it will end when God says it's over. Not a minute sooner. You know, my house and my kids were little and, and a timeout was needed. The, the clock didn't start on the timeout until they were ready and listening and quiet. So, so, so what if, what if, listen, what if in the next weeks and months ahead as a church, what if we protested less and prayed more? What if, what if we didn't stand up for some weeks and instead got on our knees and said, God, start with me. God, what do you want from us as a church? God, what would worship look like that you love? What should our lives look like? See, because Amos begins to unpack in this, this book, he begins to unpack how they were so far away from acting like they were God's kids. Look at chapter two, verse six. It says, thus says the Lord, verse six. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver, the needy for a pair of sandals, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. So Amos turns his attention on God's people now and he says, listen, listen. Judgment's coming for you. Why? You, you sell the righteous for silver and the poor for sandals. You, you're exploiting the poor. When it says you sell them for a pair of sandals, in those days, if, if you didn't have enough money to buy things and you're, and you're completely broke, you can't declare bankruptcy. So what do you do? You need to sell yourself into servitude, into slavery. And it's saying this, if you, if you can't afford the shoes, then, then Israel's coming along saying, you can't afford shoes, you're gonna be my slave. Life was so hard for some. There was prosperity for some and so hard for others. They're, they're becoming slaves just to survive and the wealthy of God's people were taking advantage. They trampled on the heads of the poor. They, they used them to get further ahead. And so apathetic about it. What's it say? It says they, they turn aside the way of the afflicted. I mean, God, God wouldn't just say, hey, you guys aren't generous. He, in chapter five, he says, you're not living like you are about justice. It, it's not about generosity. It's about justice. And God's saying, I'm a God of justice. And, and when he uses that word in the Old Testament, when he says, I'm a God of justice, it's usually talking about widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor. People who are so vulnerable and a person who's a person of justice is, is someone who's invested in serving the vulnerable. God's saying, you don't know me. You're not, you're not acting like my kids because I'm a God of justice. And so Amos here calling them out. He's saying, listen, if you're, truly, if you're truly God's children, you're not supposed to see your resources just as for you. You're supposed to be stewards of those resources for the benefit of the vulnerable, to share for those around you. You see, in Amos' day, and maybe just like ours, they saw their resources as theirs alone. How can I use this for me? Living with no regard for those in need. In fact, flip over to Amos chapter four, verse one. There's, there's a shocking verse here where, where God speaks to the wealthy women of the day. Look at verse one of chapter four. He says, hear this, 
word, you cows of Bashan. Okay, not gonna find that verse on the free coffee mug giveaway at any women's retreats for sure, all right? Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Amos, pretty bold prophet. Now, when, when he's calling them the cows of Bashan, he, he's not calling out their weight, right? It's not a dig at their weight, how we would call somebody a cow now, but it's his way of saying, listen, you who are so lazy, so well-fed, so pampered, you're spending all your money driving your nice cars, pursuing luxury, taking vacations, all about fashion and trends. And, and look at verse 15 of chapter three, just above that. Talks about what? Their winter house, along with their summer house and the house of ivory. I mean, you're lounging at your winter house, just can't wait to get to your summer house, just living in this luxury, and you're doing all of this, he says, while people around you are dying. Go back to chapter two. So no care for the poor, no care for the vulnerable. And God says, we're shutting it down. Chapter two, verse seven goes on. You can see more of the sin here. The second part of chapter seven says, a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned and they lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. God's people going along with the sexual sin of their day. They didn't look any different from the world around them. They bought into the pornification of life and said, this is great, we're in. Look at what God says in verse nine. He says, it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them whose height was like higher than of the cedars and, and who was as strong as the oaks, I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also, it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your, son, some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so of people of Israel, declares the Lord? You hear what God's saying there? He's saying, you're doing all of this. You, you have no concern for justice. You're bought into sexual sin. You're doing all of this. He goes, I'm the one who saved you. My grace, I rescued you. I delivered you. What God's people forgot, what Israel forgot was that God's plan was not just that he would rescue them and redeem them and forgive them when they sin. No, he promises to transform us, that, that we truly would be his people, that we'd respond to his grace by being agents of grace. Listen, for us today, listen, when we see the love of God poured out on us, that, that he would rescue us uh, from our Egypt, from, from sin and death, from, from an eternity separated from God in hell, and he says, I'm rescuing you from that. And, and he does it how? Through the great cost of, of the sacrifice of Christ. We see God's love and grace like that. Listen, that love and grace should fuel our love for him where, where we say, man, I don't wanna live in any way that shows that the blood of Christ was a waste. I don't wanna live in any way to, to show that the cross of Christ was worthless. And if we claim God's grace while we just keep going on living in unrepentant sin, I heard it described this way just a week ago. 
It, it's, it's, it's like a, when we live like that, it's, it's like a daughter of a wealthy man and, and her father is so wealthy, but she's kidnapped. And they send the ransom demands and the, the father sells everything. Like he sells everything he's got. He sells the house, he sells the cars, right down, right down to the clothes on his back and he sells his wife's wedding ring, everything sold. Gives it all up. He brings the ransom to the place where, where the kidnapper said, bring it here. He brings it there. He sets the ransom down. He walks away. The daughter walks out. She picks up the ransom. She walks back to the kidnappers. Puts her arm around one of them and walks away laughing. Turning back to yell at her father, you're such a chump. We're really living as those who have been transformed by grace. I mean, here's what's even worse. Flip to chapter eight. They're living this way. They're, they're living in this, this way while they're still doing the whole religious thing. Like Isaiah says in Isaiah 29, 13, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They're, they're going to church and they're singing super loud. The, the, the rest of the week, they don't look anything different from the world. Their mouths are singing worship songs but their hearts are so far from God. I love how A.W. Tozer says it. He says, Christians don't lie in church, but they, 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 don't, they don't speak lies, but they sing their lies. What you really believe about Jesus, about God's grace, it's not shown by how engaged you are in a worship service on Sunday as we gather together. It's shown by how you live your life Monday to Saturday. Here they are, look at chapter eight. Look at verse four. It says, hear this, you, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? New moon, it's, 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 a, it's a religious celebration. When will the new moon be over that we can sell grain? And the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale. That we may take the ephath small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances. That we may buy the poor for silver, the needy for a pair of sandals, that sell the chaff of the wheat. What's going on? Here's what he's describing. You're in church and you're thinking, I can't wait for this to be over so I can get back to doing what I really want. So, so that I can get back to living for me. Your lips are praising, but your heart is far from God. I'd say it this way. It's, it's thinking about where your mind so easily goes. Not just in a worship service, but, but anywhere. What, what, you, what you start to think about, and you're thinking more and more about, man, I just want to get that. I just, I just, if I could just make more money, I could grab this. If I just had more of this, I could have that. If I just could, and, and listen, listen, whatever that is that you're always thinking about to pursue, that's your God, that's your Savior. That's your hope. And God sees it and he's saying, enough, sit this one out for a while. If, you, if you're just living as though, as though church is a Sunday thing, but your life is not redeemed and changed, let's sit this out for a while. Church is a horrible place to hide from God. 
It's a, a great place to come broken by your sin to experience grace. But my, my prayer is this, that, that, that people who come and they're, they're weighed heavy by their sin and they walk into church or they come into our lives, that they feel nothing but the grace and love of God as we, as we grab a hold of them. But this, but this, that also we'd be a church that would be so uncomfortable if you're hiding sin. So uncomfortable if you're living a, a, a double life. I don't say uncomfortable because I want people to suffer, but, but like God saying all the way through Amos, I'm doing this so you'd return to me. You'd seek me and you'd live. So let me ask you this. In this time where God's given us a time out, maybe it's a time for us to stop and think, how, how different are we in our lives? Is, is sexual sin just as free and flowing in our homes and in our lives as it is in the world? Are we just as greedy and close-handed with our stuff? Are, are we using our resources more for us and for our luxury and for our comfort and our ease while the rest of our community, the rest of our world suffers? Are we sharing the good news of Jesus or, or are we keeping time just for ourselves? I mean, think about it. Think, think about how incredible it would be. What, what would our, our towns, our communities look like if all of us gave time to, to showing and sharing the good news of Jesus with our, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with, with those we go to school with? What if we sacrificed? What if we gave? What if we went? What if we spoke? And listen, I, I hate evangelism as much as the next guy, all right? There, there are so many things I would rather do than, than take that risky step of talking to somebody I don't know about Jesus, making them uncomfortable, talking about something awkward that they don't even wanna talk about. Like, I, I would rather do anything. I, I would rather go for a jog than do that. I would rather pet a cat than do that. Like, like there's so many things I would, I would much rather do. And so what do we do? We busy ourselves with so many other things so that we don't live out the mission Jesus gave us. He said, Go. We busy, ourselves, we busy ourselves even with religious things. Look, I know God's calling me to go talk to my neighbor. I would rather just go to church. And, and hopefully, hopefully my pastor reaches my neighbor. Hopefully the staff will disciple my kids. Hopefully, and we end up building a church that, that requires no courage at all. And, and so, so many people in our town, the people we live beside, never hearing the message of hope. Even worse, maybe not even seeing us live any differently. You're the missionary to the people in your life. I'm the missionary to the people in my life. The question is this, are we calling them to a new life or wait, or wait, have they been better missionaries than us and we look more like their way of life? Look at chapter six, verse one. Amos says this, woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Zion is, is the, the, the place of worship in Israel. Those who are at this place and you're at ease in your worship. And he's calling us out of that. He's, he's calling us out of apathy. Where we would care for the hurting and the lost. He, he's calling us out of the, the ease of, of self-indulgence. We're, we're just living for the next comfort. He's calling us out of the ease of, of laziness and procrastination. Where, where we'd say, look, I know God's called me to repent. I know he's called me to live for him, to serve for him, maybe tomorrow. Look at 
As we wrap this up, the question we ask is, well, then what's the solution to all of this? I mean, what's the answer? If, if I find myself there, if we as a church find ourselves where God's saying, take a time out because I'm seeing some stuff that need to change. I mean, Amos is telling them, listen, the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, throughout the book, he mentions that, that five times. The day of the Lord is coming. You, when you read day of the Lord in God's word in the Old Testament, it's talking about judgment. There's a, a judgment day coming, a day of judgment. And, and Amos is saying, listen, this judgment begins with the house of the Lord. It starts with us. God pulls aside his kids first. And the day of the Lord is serious. The judgment is serious. But here's the greatest news in the midst of all of that bad. The idea of the day of the Lord. Listen, the day of the Lord the apostles would say the day of the Lord began with the crucifixion of Christ. That, that on the cross, all the judgment that Amos talks about here was poured out on Jesus, fully poured out on him. The, the judgment we deserve. And, and our hope is here. Our hope is in this, where we would hide ourselves in Christ, where we would, we would run to Christ. We would flee sin, run to Christ. And if you don't know Jesus, if, you, if you're listening and you're like, man, I'm just sort of checking this out and I'm hearing about judgment, what do I do with this? You begin here. You recognize, but there's hope that I, I don't need to clean myself up and come to Christ. Man, I come to him broken, knowing that that judgment's been poured out on him that I deserve so that I could be redeemed. Listen, if you claim Christ, but you're not living in a way that, that shows that new life, this is where you go to. Pursue Jesus. If there's, if there's unrepentant sin in your life, listen, nobody sins out of duty. You don't sin. Well, I'm not, I don't want to sin, but I'm just doing it because I have to. No, no, we sin because we want sin. We sin because sin promises us, promises us something. It promises us happiness. And, and when we buy the lie, we, we lean into it. And so, so how do we move beyond sin to find true life? We come to the cross because the penalty of sin has to be paid. And it's paid by the righteous blood of Christ. The, the power of sin in our lives needs to be broken. And it's broken by us fully banking, fully resting our entire lives on the promise of Christ, finding our total satisfaction there. In fact, look at Amos chapter five, verse four. Here's the key right here. Just one phrase. Amos chapter five, the end of verse four, it says this, seek me and live. Seek me and live. Seek, pursue, go hard after. God's saying, listen, there is a life. The life you're living is not good. It ends in destruction. There's a life that's so much better, a life that really satisfies, a life that brings hope and joy. He says, it's here, seek me. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 6, 33. He says, seek first my kingdom. Make that the number one priority on your calendar. Grow, grow a heart orientation, a way of life that says, I'm going after him. No holds barred, all the way, risking it all. I'm putting everything in Jesus. All my time, all my stuff, all my comforts. There's a young person, as you have a, a life ahead of you, you'd say, man, I want to spend that life there. I want to go after that because I know that in that is joy forevermore. I know that in that, I'm building up a reward in heaven that will never be taken away. I know that in that, I'll see lives change for eternity. If you're in our church and you're, you're an older person, that you would look at it and go, man, I don't know how much time I got left. 
I'm spending it here. Look at verse 14 of chapter five. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts will be with you. As you have said, hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Look look at verse 23 and 24. So we're, we're to hate evil, we're to love good. Look at verse 23. Take away from me, God's saying, take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Enough with just the the going through the motions worship. What's he say? Verse 24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Don't just worship me with your voice, but with your whole life. That's it. That's seeking. That's seeking and that's life. So for us as a people, for us as a church, how do we respond then? We return to God. We we seek him with a heart of worship. And over the weeks ahead, uh, Here's my question. Could could we as a church come away from from fighting for our rights and instead fall on our knees just for a season to seek God and say, God, what are you saying to us in this season? God, why have you shut down our worship? God, where's our attention? Where's our focus? Where are we looking? What are we longing for? What are we pursuing? That we take these weeks ahead to ask, where's my trust? What have I put my hope in? You'd ask, where's my delight? What what do I feel joy in? What's my desire? Is my heart taken up with so many other things that I'm missing out on the greater, a, a love for God and a love for others? So that we'd humble ourselves before God. Let the Spirit of God work in our hearts. Let him unearth sin in our hearts where we're apathetic, where we're procrastinating, where we're self-indulging, where we're living more for ourselves instead of the lost and the hurting, where we overlook injustice, where we hold back out of fear, where God's saying, no, I'm calling you to step in and risk. And what could God do with the church? A church filled with people who seek him first, offering our whole lives. See, because Amos ends this whole book in chapter nine saying a new king is coming who will sit on the throne of David, that, that Jesus would come. Now, us on this side of the cross, we know why Jesus has come. He's come and he's restored. And so we want to spend time in humble repentance before him where there's so much grace overflowing that you can't, you can't even keep up, where, where, where he says in, in, in Amos 9 that even on the mountaintops, there's grace overflowing. Church, let's go after that. Let's go after that. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your grace. But I also thank you for your severe grace. God, that you wouldn't just let us as a church just drift and wander, but instead you would pursue us. And sometimes you pursue us with difficulties to get our attention, to say, come back to me. Father, we, uh, we don't want to waste this time out. 
We don't want to waste this opportunity. So God, in the, in the days and the weeks ahead, God, that as a church, Lord, that we would begin to seek you. God, that, that, that corporate repentance begins with individual repentance. And so we would, each one of us on our knees saying, God, reveal our hearts. Lord, where are we not living our lives for you? God, where have we traded in the, the grace you offer to pursue the things of the world? God, where are we overlooking injustice? Lord God, would you send us out, Lord, even now, God, to begin on our knees, to begin to experience your grace, to spend some time at the cross, to begin to again see the rescue you've provided to redeem us, to restore us, and to transform us. And that, God, that, that when, when we start to move out as a church, whether we're opened or not, God, you would send us out into our community to let justice roll down like water to bring life where it seems there's only death, to bring hope to a lost world. God, use us for that. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.